And we're going to start a class on, we're doing a biblical look at the will, will of man. Um, yes, Mr. Steve, you can shut the doors. And we'll get started with first class. Um, Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, what, I'm three days early, right? Four days early? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. No. No. I, I could say, and a happy new year. Then I'd be really... All right, let's uh, pray and we'll begin class. We're going to talk about the various wills that are involved in man, uh, with man's will this morning. Uh, we're going to study uh, a theological subject uh, which, which is right before Christmas, probably not the best of topics, but we're going to address it this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the day you've provided for us to come together. Uh, many people are under the weather. Many, a few are healing and a few are, are, are um, just in a bad way. So we lift up Rick. We lift up Leonard's uh, quick repair and healing of his hip. And Father, we also know that there's others under the weather that just keep passing this, whatever this thing is, along and, and back and forth. Just We pray for them. We pray for uh, the new baby in this church. Uh, Maybe, hopefully, prayerfully, he'll show up at second service. And Father, again, for this time, as we uh, look into your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this is the fourth class on studying the will. Uh, here's... Um, I guess this is the small print on the bottom of a contract I'm going to give you this morning. Uh, there's going to be a lot of redundancy because how I've laid this classes out for understanding the will of man, um, looking at maybe 12 to 15 classes, but you've got to have redundancy to bring all the issues back into play all the time. So uh, this is the one I'm going to start with this morning, uh, and I think it's important for us to understand uh, we are in conflict of the will. If we have one will in the universe, uh, which would be God's will only, it's God's will is a perfect will, and if he was, his will was the only will, we'd be better off and best off. The problem is, and then we would also have peace, uh, that pathes all understandings at all times. There would never be conflict because God's will is the only will. Um, but once you introduce a second will, there's going to be conflict. Uh, any of you know that through, let's see, marriage, friendship, uh, children, whatever it is. And, and some of us may say we have strong-willed children, and that's fine. But, uh, again, that's, all it is is a conflict of wills. Uh, and I think, since we have a few young people in here this morning, what I will tell you is they want their will above any other wills because they're right. Right, guys? And uh, it's a fight for independence. And there's going to be a struggle. And when you determine within your family unit or your husband and wife unit that there's a, going to be a, a working out of the wills, it'll be best off. But just because, and here's where we're at, because I want us to understand, God's will is sovereign will. God's will is a perfect will. Um, but even though he has an absolute sovereign, perfect will, he allows his will to be challenged. And I think that gives us a better understanding of God, because if he didn't allow his will to be challenged, there's still only going to be one will, right? Then why do we have these difficulties if there's only one will? But God allows his will to be challenged. And I think that's important for us to grasp as that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about, this is a great Christmas subject. It's a couple days before Christmas, and we're going to talk about Satan. How does that work for you? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say, 
I'm going to say something. I don't want to be unique, but how many people this morning are going to talk about Satan in the pulpits? You know, it's like, no, we're going to talk about baby Jesus. So we're going to talk about Satan because we're talking about the will and the introduction of a second will. So if we go back before the creation of man, and we don't know how far before the creation of man that God created angels... And we're going to talk about the fall of Satan and what happened with Satan. Because that introduced a second will into the universe, into the cosmos, into the whatever you want to call it. So until that occurred, there was only one will. And then God uh, created angels and established angels. And then Satan... Uh, and here's what I want you to understand. Satan has very uh, cunning and deceptive, but he introduces a second will into the environment, and his will opposes God's will. He tries to negate God's will. And we'll look at this as we go through this and understand where he came from, why this happened, and why God allows it. So, the so-, so when we talk about God's sovereign will, he basically puts us up a sign, says, challenge me. Uh, we know from Christ that when Christ was going to the cross, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. So he's willfully submitting, even though he was the second person of the triune God, submitted his will to the Father's will. Um, but that very rarely happens to the fullest, and Satan is never, from the biblical record, ever submitted to God's will. So when we have that... Um, what is it? Not uh, what is it? Abrasive versus uh, a non-moving object. There's going to be uh, caustic things going on. If you read, ever read the book of Job, it's an interesting thing in the book of Job. God says, "I want my will to be challenged," and He initiates a conversation with Lucifer when the angels were allowed to gather together. And God says to Lucifer, "What do you think of my servant Job?" So God's saying, "Hey, you're challenged my will." I want you to, now, uh, I'm going to use you as an instrument to do what? Challenge Job's will. Kind of get the picture? Uh, but God initiates that whole conversation. Uh, and I, I think it's important for us to know that God has created, well, let's put it this way. God has created all his creatures with the capacity of their own will. So when we talk about man, does man have a free will? Well, did Satan, Satan not have a free will? Therefore, man should have a free will. Because they're created beings. And if God uses force or some kind of other method to make man submit to his will, I have a problem with that kind of a God. And that's not the God of the Bible. With me so far? I think this is important. So um, we can... Well, I think a question would come out of this. Why would a sovereign, perfect God allow his will to be challenged? Because his will is perfect, yes? Can we not say God's will is the perfect will? And most of us as believers would say, well, I want God's will for my life because you want the perfect working out of your life in, in the sphere of being a godly person. You say, if God's will is in my life, I'm going to be walking the life God wants us to and aligned with his word. But why would God being... I'm, I'm Just think about it in the human realm. There are people that are so arrogant, they don't want their will challenged. It's my way or the highway. You've ever heard that? And that's sometimes difficult uh, in whatever arena you're in, but God allows his will to be challenged. And I think the best way to look at that is he steps back, allowing the challenge to happen, and he will objectively prove, because people will choose their own way, but he can objectively prove that there can be no good without him. I mean, I think that's the best way to look at it. Can man do good without submitting to God's will? And I think no. 
Uh, Satan, we can know for sure, because history shows us, history, just let's go through history. How does man's will do when man makes his own choices outside of the will of God? Well, from what I've seen in the Bible specifically, but in world history, there's been murder, conflict, wars, arguments uh, of various kinds, and it's and there's always a search for peace, right? How do nations get along with nations? Well, it's Somebody says, I want this, and they write something down, and the other nation or people say, no, we don't want that, we want this. So it's a struggle of what? Different wills that are involved. So here, I want to give us a focal point for this morning that we're going to deal with. Each will, God's, Satan's, and man, has an individual plan for their own will. Okay? So if you write notes, this is a good place to put three wills down. Put God's will, Satan's will, man's will. Put them down. Just write God's will, and God's will overall, uh, his sphere, his will is to put Jesus Christ as the supreme king of the universe. He wants full submission to the kingship of Christ. Willingly, let me say it that way, willingly. It's, if, it's, if it's forced, it's, it's a different kind of servitude, and that's not what God wants. God wants willing subjects to choose him. So God's will is that Jesus Christ rules and reigns. Okay. Secondly, Satan's will. Now, we've already said Satan uh, opposes God's will. He negates it. So what would be a better will for Satan in light of the first will? Who does he want to rule and reign the universe? Bingo! So Satan's, Satan's will is for him to rule and reign. Uh, we'll look at some of those verses. He wants to be the almighty God. He wants to rule and reign. Uh, he has a problem with... His will, I, I think it's interesting, if you go through the different passages on Satan, and we're going to do some of them, he says, I will, I will, I will. We should never say, I will. Because what does that make us? Arrogant and satanic. What gives you the right to say, I will do something? Okay? So so we got God's will, Satan's will, and, and it's under... Uh, which is interesting, and just kind of look at this. Satan's will is only allowed in the time frame of man's will being allowed. In other words, there's going to be a time when Satan will be done away with because his will will have an end. There's going to be a time frame when man's will will come to an end because there will be so full submission in the kingdom, but that will be a willful submission where Satan cannot willfully make that choice. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire forever. So, uh, But it's interesting. Until that happens, Satan will, when he's released... From the thousand-year captivity, will have a mass of people following him. Now you think about this: you're in the millennial kingdom, thousand years rule and reign of Christ, perfect King, which God's will is being established because Christ will be ruling and reigning. Satan's in bondage. Satan is then released, and all of a sudden he has multitudes following him. What kind of a figure is he? Do you understand how charismatic a leader he has to be to to knowingly? And and I I believe this without a Shadow of doubt that people knowingly know who he is when he is released for the time and, and, and people know who they're submitting to that it's not God. Isn't that sad? But there's people today that willingly reject the Bible, that willingly willing reject the gospel, reject everything that we would call a believer to. So there is already willing uh, uh, submission to Satan, I guess is the best way to say it. So the third, third one is we got God's will, uh, Satan's will, now we have... Man's will, and man's will is similar to Satan's will, 
Who did the, who does man want to enthrone? Who does man want to rule the universe? Himself. It's, it, it is one of those things. Man wants to. Um, I don't know how many people I've talked to over my short lifetime about different things, and they say, well, I, j- I just can't change. I can't do those things. I can't. Well, well basically, you're saying is your will is better than anything else. I, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to change who I am. Uh, well, then you're just saying you've got a perfect will that's always going, that's already going on in your life, and you think everything is all right. Why are you talking to me? Why, why do you need counsel? And, and I think there's the problem. Man doesn't want to what? Change, and the change is required if you're submitting to God's will. Uh, and it's not a, it's not a singularity. You know, well, I did it yesterday. You know, okay, good. What are you going to do today? You're going to submit to your will, Satan's will, or God's will. The, the choice still remains. So the initial challenge that was given uh, was by Satan himself. God created a being that was superior to all other beings. God created an angel. Satan is, is an angelic being. And proclaimed him and gave him authority over all creation. God gave him, uh, because God is the absolute sovereign, gave him uh, a sphere of authority. And how did Satan do that? Well, uh, and I think and I think what happens is we don't realize something happened before Genesis 1-1, and we can't read into the Bible. Okay, what happened before Genesis 1-1? Well, believe, I believe the creation of the angelic beings were, was done because they weren't always with God, right? There had to be a time God created them. And we ask ourselves one of those philosophical questions, when did that happen? And my answer is, I have no clue. I don't know if it's two days, six years, or in eternity past sometime that God created these beings, and how long did Satan... Uh, fester about being like God and wanting his will. I have no idea. We can all, And here's what I like to do. I like to stay in the realms of revealed scripture, not go past it, because then it's problematic. And we're going to look at some of the revealed thing. But we do know this, that Satan at some point in time, that means after Genesis 1-1, said his will... Is, is to be like uh, the God Almighty. He wants, he didn't like God's will, basically. He said, my will's better. Uh, and God gave him a one-time chance to do that. And he, when he fell, we talk about angels, so there's different categories. There's fallen and, and not fallen angels. And in that group of fallen angels, Satan, uh, his will was the way to go, and people and other angelic beings submitted to Satan's will. And we call them demons today. Or, or fallen angels. So there's a category of fallen angels, and we know a lot left with Satan. So a lot, even though they had one choice and one time to make that choice, fell. That's before Genesis 1-1. So we open up Genesis 1-1. God decides to create man in his own image, which is automatically uh, threatening what? Satan's will. That's a threat to Satan's will. And it doesn't take like 97 chapters for Satan to show up. Three chapters, Satan shows up. We get chapter one, we get a, a discourse on creation, and then we get a, a finer discourse on creation. Um, let me tell most of you something that you probably already know. When you do, when you look at Hebrews telling a story, they're going to tell you a story, the summary of the story. So the summary of the story is Genesis 1, 1 and 2. That's just, then, I, then they're going to turn around and say, well, let me tell you what that's all about. That's the rest of Genesis 1. 
And if you don't get that, I'm going to explain in a little finer details. I'm going to give you Genesis 2. So I tell you a story. I'll tell you a fuller story. And I'll tell you the, the minutia of the story. Kind of get that? So we that's the compact of Genesis 1 and 2. Then all of a sudden, you get to Genesis 3, what happens? The fall of man or the, in, or the influx or the prodding of Satan's will into man. Yes? You mean God's image? Okay, I, I will address that at some point when we get to man's will. How's that? Okay, yeah, I will, I will deal with that, and, and, I th- and I believe that's a, an important topic for us to understand. I, want, I don't want to say it like this, but I'm going to say it like this. I want to talk about Satan this morning. <laughs> I don't know how to, you know, we all look Christmassy and festive, and we're going to talk about Satan. How depressing. No, but it's important for us to know, and, and I want you to understand, the will that came in, that opposed God, that is still uh, involved in this world. Uh, if you can look through Satan, uh, look at Satan's will as is exposed in the world today, it'll help you understand things a little bit better. Because what we have in general in the world, the cosmos, the secular thinking, uh, liberal thinking, whatever you want to talk about, it, people that are not saved is satanic thinking. And you say, well, a man has his own choice. Yes. But if he lines up with Satan's thinking, that's satanic thinking. Uh, we're going to talk about it in the second hour. There's doctrines of demons. What are those? I mean, if it was really like, like we envision doctrines of demons, oh, nobody would ever touch that. It's demonic. But it's not like that. It's as deceptive as it possibly could be. So therefore, that's where it's, it's, it's evil. Because it sounds good, smells good, and tastes good, but it's not good, kind of thing. And we'll talk about that, because Satan's a master deceiver. He is. And, and God has given us the greatest discernment available in the Word of God. Let me explain something to you. It's so easy to grasp. If you were studying counterfeiting, you wouldn't study the fake, you study the real. Uh, I think anybody in the treasury that has ever been taught to study counterfeiting, all they do is study the real thing. They feel the money, they look at the money, they they scan, you know, what is it, light the money, they put the light behind it. They do all these things to the money, they feel it. Um, and then when they go to the counterfeit, they can feel the difference, they see the difference, they see the markings that are different. And a good counterfeiter can do what? Get close, but not perfect. And I think what happens is believers... Um, we are so, and this is my second hour class, so I'm going to be a kind of a little annoying. I think we're so inept at studying God's word that we couldn't tell the the fake from the false. I mean, from the real, without somebody saying, "Oh, that's not good." Um, I'm going to tell you something about discernment, and this is important. Your discernment can get better every day if you study God's word. Okay, and if your discernment as a believer bangs against another believer's discernment, here's how you fix it. Go to God's Word. Because you're not going to say, my discernment's better than yours, and your discernment, because what you basically come apart, come, come up against, is two believers that have a, a realm of discernment. You've got to say, how did you arrive at that understanding? Is it in the Word of God? Where did you find that? And I think it's important for us to see that as we do uh, do so with that. So um, we're going to go to a few verses because I want us to talk about Satan's rebellion for a moment. Uh, uh, look at Matthew 25 real quick. For we're going to we're going to end up in Ezekiel 28, so you'll know where I'm going. So let's go to Matthew 25 first.
So we're, t- we're looking into uh, part of the Olivet Discourse. We're going to spend some time when we get to it in our class on Matthew. Um, some of you will be older when we arrive there. Uh, that's all. Uh, but this is dealing with Satan in his final judging. He says, verse 41, so we're in Gen- uh, Matthew 25, 41. It says, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So if anybody ends up in hell, in other words, an unbeliever, stays an unbeliever, ends up at the judgment seat and cast into this place, it wasn't prepared for an unbeliever. It's prepared for the devil and his angels, which is fascinating because when people say, oh, there's an angel watching over me, know what you should ask? Good or bad? Because here it just says angels, it uses a generic understanding, it says the devil and his angels. Isn't that funny? So look at that little angel. It could be a little demon, little imp. Okay, because it just says it generically. We know it's a demon because it's with, lines up with the devil. Um, uh, so I think it's important for, for us to see that. So let's turn to Ezekiel. Well, before we go to Ezekiel. Uh, well, yeah, let's go to Ezekiel. We'll be fine. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. And now i got to tell you a little something about prophecy and how you deal with prophecy and look at this understanding. Well, not prophecy in, in itself, how we, how we deal with different things written in Scripture. Um, but prophecy is one of those, so we'll look at that in a second. So we're going to go to Ezekiel 28. Uh, and let's do it this way. There is a conflict that's happening in the world in Ezekiel 28. So if you were in our study years ago when we did the whole book of Ezekiel, you would know the king of Tyre is a real king, a real person. But what was driving, what was the driving force behind the king of Tyre? Now it's fascinating. You could say this. The Lord, biblically, the Lord sets up kings and kingdoms. So if you talk about Iran, Lord's involved. You talk about Iraq, Lord's involved. Israel, Lord's involved. Uh, The elections next year, God's involved. Okay? Uh, we're not electing our national pastor, thank God, because none of them qualify. Uh, I mean, none of them qualify. Um, and I will say this as clear as I can. There's one side that none of them qualify. <laughs> it's just easy as that. My book, okay? But when you get to Ezekiel, uh, what we're looking at is the king of Tyre. And behind the king of Tyre, there's a, per- there's a personal influence on him that he submits to. Okay, so we're going to look at not only the king of Tyre, but what's driving the king of Tyre. So verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God. So Ezekiel's to speak directly to the king of Tyre and the driving force behind him. Okay, and you got to look at, when you look at Scripture, you got to say, um, What do we have in Scripture, and what, how do we go beyond the initial to the further thing? In other words, for instance, in Hosea chapter 11, it talks about, I will take my son, uh, call my son out of Egypt. Who's he talking about? Well, the, the, the initial understanding is, is Israel. But then in Matthew, Matthew quotes that verse saying, Jesus was called out of Egypt. I called my son out of Egypt. So there was an ultimate, a, a near prophecy, I guess you could look at it. I don't do double reference prophecies, but there's a near understanding that reflects what's the what's the ultimate understanding, okay? Uh, and, and we have similar things to that. Uh, Psalm chapter 22 talks about the crucifixion. Uh, Psalm uh, 2, Psalm 110 
All those different ones that have a, a near picture, but the ultimate is reflected in that. So we have here in Ezekiel 28, I think we need to understand, we have the near picture, we have the king of tires being spoken to, and we got the bigger picture that we need to see. So we're, I'm not going to go through all of the king of tire. That's history. If you want to, you can pick up the tape for 6.95 off our website. Nobody's got that. It's free. You just got to go find it. Uh, somewhere I did Ezekiel 28 in a couple lessons. But we're going to drop down to verse 11. We're going to talk about the driving force behind this king. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man. And that was a title used often for Ezekiel. Uh, a representative man in this time frame. Take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord, you had the seal of perfection. So we went from the near understanding to now a greater understanding. And, and the word you there in Hebrew is very emphatic. You and specifically you. Uh, unlike the rest of, of creation, he's separating out this, this you, this person that's been uh, sp- spoken about here. This, this person is a full measure. There was nothing missing from him, nothing to approve upon. So when we look at Satan... And this is who's driving force, so we'll get into this. When you look at Satan, Lucifer, whatever name you want to use, it's still this reference to the same person. Uh, he was, when he, when God created him, he created him in the fullness that he needed to be. He was perfect in function. Uh, uh, when we talk about perfection, obviously the Lord Jesus Christ is the only perfect being, but this is perfect for what God had created him for. Okay. Uh, in other words, he's not God, but he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Uh, you know, it's funny, at, at Halloween, when I was a kid, people would dress up like Satan, you know, with the red suit, the horned outfit, the, the uh, what, the forked tail too, or whatever, and the forked little uh, sphere, spear that they would use, and you'd look, man, that's, and put on yellow eyes or whatever, and they, that's evil. That's an evil. That's not what Satan looks like. Satan doesn't have that kind of a guise that, that he puts on. He was full of beauty. full. Uh, and, and when you look at this fullness of full measure, this idea of full measure, uh, in respect to other created, created beings, he was above all. So when we say angels, above the angels. But how about man? Above man. Until what? Man will rule and reign and judge the angels. So there's a time coming man does have his rightful uh, end, end game going on. So even though we have this, uh, he had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. We're gonna we're gonna look at this in a minute. God was still sovereign. This created being cannot overrule the cre- creator. So when we talk about creature creator distinction, it's huge. It's not even close. Um, uh, and when we talk about those two ideas, I want, to, want you to understand there's a vast valley and rift between those two items. Uh, we are still, that's why God gets so indignant when man worships creation. Just think about it for a minute. Why would man worship creation when the Creator made it? You know, why would you worship each other? You're, you're fallible. Even if you say, well, um, we worship the cherubim. We love angels. And you get all these little pictures of angels and figurines of angels. And you say, oh, I just love angels. You're still worshiping God's creation. You're, you're still a, not even a rung. You know, we talk about ladders. You're not a rung below. You're not even on the ladder. It's still, when you have a creature 
creation, creator distinction, the creature creator distinction. It's not a little valley. It's a, it's a large rift. You can't even come close. So when we give, when we talk about God's attributes, nobody shares those. When we talk about Satan, um, just for instance, if Flip Wilson was in the house this morning, he said, the devil made me do it. Well, good for Flip, because he's the only one with, with Satan's uh, possession or Satan dealing with him. He can't be dealing with me if he's dealing with him. You understand? He can only do one thing at one time, be one place at one time. I like the idea. If you think today Satan's in Haiti, good, he's not here. But God can be everywhere at every time. That's a huge distinction. Do we understand that? I want us to grasp that. However, Satan has a huge influence. And he's gained it because man easily is kowtowed to satanic understanding. It sounds easier. It looks easier. So when we talk about Satan, he has a will and expresses that will by, by, uh, by doing certain things within mankind. And we'll look at some of those things. And God created Satan with the ability at this time, um, and I want you to understand this, this is so important. God uses mediators for different things. Okay? Remember in, in Timothy, it talks about there's one mediator between God and man, the what? The man Christ Jesus. There's one mediator now. That's the important mediator. But if you look at all life, we all have mediation. Okay? So when we talk about Satan, Satan was created to be the Lord's prime minister. He was given... The earth to rule over. And my biggest question is why? Well, God chose that. I have no understanding other than God, will again, allowed his will to be challenged and wanted to see if man understood there was no good outside of being godly. Remember when Jesus is called, uh, I think the conversation is between him and Nicodemus, if I'm not mistaken. Why do you call me good? No, that's not Nicodemus. But why do you call me good? Only God is Good, okay? I think that's important for us to know. Because man can be what? Okay, but we can't be godly good. We've got to recognize there's only good when we're uh, in a relationship with God. With me? So when somebody says, you've got to be good, young man, say, okay, I'm godly. That's more important, and we want to line up with God's will. And God wants us to see that. So God has a right plan, and his plan was that he is sovereign, and Satan was going to be his prime minister, and he says, go ahead. Well, maybe that's a bad choice of words, prime minister, but you get the picture. And he says to his prime minister, challenge me. Challenge me. However, you can challenge, but you can't defeat. You understand the, the, the paradigm we're setting up here. God says, challenge me. You can't take God and push God off his throne. You can't take God out. You can't eradicate God. The only way Satan could get God's throne is if he got total worship from everyone, everywhere at one time. And that wouldn't happen because God's still God. (laughs) It is what it is. But this challenge, I want us to understand, this challenge only came within what we call time. And and it's so important for us to get this because here's where it gets really difficult. Time is only man's orientation, and then Satan lines up with time. God's not in time. God doesn't, doesn't, uh, didn't invent it, doesn't own one. He doesn't own a Rolex or a Timex. Doesn't matter, because time is irrelevant to God. But time is relevant to Satan, because he's only got so much time, and he read this, he read the book, you know that, right? It's interesting, James says, uh, even the demon, even the demons believe and they shudder. Why? Because they understand who God is and it scares the bejeebas out of them. Okay? Because they know they read the book. 
They know judgment's coming, and it's only in time. So Satan's only got so much time. So Satan, Satan's on the proverbial clock. How much time is left? When's the rapture coming? When's the uh, tribulation coming? When's the uh, kingdom coming? We don't know, but Satan knows he's on the clock. And he knows that during that kingdom time, he's going to be locked up for a thousand years. And you know, I know. Right now, he's unleashed. Um, and, and he's not doing things uh, sublimely. He's doing things very uh, exposed. Uh, then, when we, when, um, so we talk about time. So time is Eden to the end. Let's make it easy. Eden to the end, just for conversation. Uh, now, what we're discussing basically is there's God's will, a second will came in, and can you see that when there's two wills involved, the mess occurs when the second will that's involved brings it into a sea of uncertainty. What's going to happen when, with that second will that's involved? With God, we got God's plan. God has given us his word. God expresses his will. If you want to know what God's will is, here it is. Okay, and within God's will, God tells you how it's a, how his will is opposed. So, um, which is fascinating. Think of this. You know, we, we talk about people that say there is no free will. Just think about this for a minute. Yet he creates Adam with a responsibility. How can there be no free will if he creates Adam and he says, Adam, I'm going to create you and I will make you responsible for certain things. Only two things, basically. Okay? And he says to Adam, you are responsible. You know what the problem with most human beings today? Not only are they irresponsible, but they don't take any self-responsibility for anything. They'll say, so-and-so made me do it. This, this made, you don't know the troubles I've seen. You don't know my parents. You, they're all victims. Everyone's a victim of something. If you only knew uh, what's going on, you would understand. But God says, are you personally responsible? And what, what God does throughout his scripture, he makes an appeal to you, human beings. He says, here's a command. What are you going to do with the command? And if you see a command in scripture, God's saying you have a free will. Do you understand that? That's why it drives me crazy when some people say, man does not have a free will. Well, I don't know what I did with that paper. Yeah, I did. Spiritual victory begins by acknowledging this truth and by rejecting free will. Our will is not free. It is born to sin. Man doesn't have a free will. According to this guy, we don't have a free will. But yet God does what? He gives us a, 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 an imperative to say, make a choice. Make a choice. And if we don't understand that, uh, and but, but God's saying by the imperative, the command mood in Scripture... If you don't understand it, God's saying, um, I want you to respond to me in the proper manner. I want you to be a responsible person as a responder. Here's my love for you. Here's what's going to happen with my justice. And, and, and today we can look to the cross because Christ died for your sin. Uh, here, and here's what you're to do as a responsible person with that cross. And if you say no and I reject the cross, it's not saying you don't have free will. You've been, you've been provided an understanding. And, and uh, when we look at our volitional choices, our free will, and that God gave us to respond to his will, well, how, do we, how, do, how do we do? How do? Now, here's the opposite. If we say we have no free will, I blame God for everything. Think about it for a minute. If we don't have free will, God created evil. 
God made you the way you are, and if you're right now bound for hell and you can't have no choice and you're going to go, that's evil. I don't know what else to do with that. That God's going to send people because God says, I didn't give you faith. I didn't give you the ability to believe. Therefore, you're going to go to hell. God's evil. Do you understand that? To me, I don't know what else to do with that. And and people that are the persuasion that says man doesn't have free will will say, well, you're not of the elect. That's why you don't understand it. Or come up with something good. No. It's just, to me, it's evil. God has got to be, to be fully sovereign, he's got to be willing to say, challenge me. And, and that's, that's important for us. Uh, God, oh, go ahead. Right, yes. Well, God gave him choices, just like he gives us choices. Uh, but Satan's difference is he had what? A one-time appearance to make a choice. Um, and we don't know what totally happened before uh, Genesis account. No, I'm sorry. Pardon me? No sorry. No sorry. Well, he can be sorry. He can, he can be as re- repentant as he wants and ask for forgiveness and change his mind about everything he did, but he's already in the category he is. And I don't think he would anyway, because according to Scripture, he is who he is. You know, um, And the challenge still goes on. Um, the reason I say Satan's still challenging, I look around us. You know, There's still a challenge. And, and I'm not, I want us to be clear about something. We're talking about Satan and the will that came in that was introduced against God's will. But Satan isn't, again, we're responsible. We can't say, well, Satan made me do it. Satan's the influence. Satan's the backing. We still respond to that as well as we respond to God's influence. You understand? We've still got to be responsible. I think that's important for us to know. For instance, God will say in Scripture, come, let us reason together. Do you understand what God's doing? He's inviting uh, in that case, the nation of Israel, to reason with him. Let's, let's talk about these things. Let's discuss it so you can understand what my will is. You can understand what I'm trying to promote and what, what I want in the universe, what my will is. Uh, for instance, we can look around, and I'm not judging anybody, just everybody. Uh, we can look around in Bible class and say, what made you decide to come to Bible class and what made others decide not to come to Bible class? Because that was their responsibility. And it's hard. It's hard because we all want to say, you know, these people should be in class. No, it's wonderful you're in class. Deal with it. Do you understand? But at the same time, people made this decision. For instance, here's the number one decision. Are you going to give God's word a priority? Yes or no? Right? I used to tell my kids, until you're a certain age, you have no choice. I don't care what your choice is. It's my will or the highway. Why? Because it's, I'm going to be the strong-willed uh, father kind of influence. And I'm going to say, you're coming to class. We're going to be part of this. Um, and I think it's important for us to see that because we want to make God's word a priority. even Not just on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever day we meet corporately, but God's will... Uh, God's word, excuse me, should be a priority every day, right? We should be spending time reading it, looking into it, asking the hard questions. And, and Rick, so one of the ones, is he's, he's asking questions, which is fine. I'm not going to answer them all the time right away, but he's thinking God's word. I want answers to this. I need the answers. Let's look at it together. And that's what we're going to that's what we're going to try and do as as we as we get through this. So we're in Ezekiel 28. Verse 12b, and uh, what we're going to look at, we're going to look at the entry of the second will that entered into uh, the sphere. It's it's fascinating, because some of the most beautiful words in Hebrew are used for Satan in this this sphere. 
Uh, he says he's full of wisdom. Uh, now, it's, it's interesting. The word here in Hebrew is hakma. And everybody's heard that word before, right? C-H-O-K-M-A-H. C-H-O-K-M-A-H. Hakma. It's one of those words you got to get back in the uvula and almost spit at somebody. Kind of thing. Uh, it's a beautiful word, though. Basically, it's, it's skill for living. The perfect skill for life. Uh, when we talk about carpentry would be a really good picture. Um, carpenters that are really good at their job make things fit perfectly. And it's when they're done, they say, wow, this is beautiful work. How they made it come together. But that skill they had, now I know it's measure what? Measure twice, cut once, still make the mistake and cut again. Now it's me. Um, but, I mean, good carpenters are worth their weight because they do things so perfectly. You look at it, the projects when it's done, and, the, I don't know, the door lines up, everything works, whatever they're doing. It's like, this is great. But that's absolute skill at using what? The tools that's involved and, and knowing what you're doing and right woods and all that stuff that's going on. So think of this skill in life. What do you need for skill in life? Did you ever think of that? What, what makes you a person that has a person of wisdom. Remember what Solomon asked for? What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. And we always think that Solomon asked for wisdom that he could make all the perfect decisions. No, he asked to be the skill for living. And then he still did what? He still wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and you scratch your head and going, well, how did, what did he do with his hakma? You know? Um, but I think it's a beautiful picture because when we talk about it, it's not only a, it's not only a knowledge of knowing things, this hakma, but how to use it. So let's talk about truth. If you if you have truth, how do you use it? That's skill for life. So we can say, hey, Satan had a, a full. He was full of wisdom. He knew things. He knew everything. He knew how to put things into implementation, and therefore he could do what? Tweak it just a little bit. And if you tweak God's word just a little bit. Add a word here, take out a word a little bit, or say this. Did God really say that? Now, for instance, I, I, w- I was listening. Will and I were going back and forth a couple, about two weeks ago, with, uh, talking about this guy that we were listening to together on, on a YouTube video. I'm not going to tell you who it is. And his number one thing is he believes the New Testament is not God's word. It's a Gentile book. And it's not for anybody here. And it's not biblical. He doesn't even believe Jesus was even a real earthly figure. Yet he believes John the Baptist was and Paul was. Okay? And you go, what is his problem? The problem is this. He doesn't know the truth. He knows his truth. You're going to be off on that because you just tweak God's word. And he said part of it's not God's word. And he said, well, I can't believe that's God's word. Well, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to spend time in April looking at the resurrection. I've already decided this. And know how much information you get about the resurrection outside of the word of God? I mean, historical information about the resurrection. Very limited. It's fascinating how much limited information it is. And I believe Christ resurrected from the dead. Where do we get that from? The Word of God. If the Word of God is real literature, approvable literature, and understanding that it is God's Word, then we can get understanding right from here. We don't have to go anywhere else. I don't care if the world believes that the resurrection, doesn't believe the world the resurrection occurred. The Bible says it did. Do you believe the, the uh, infallibility of God's Word? If you do, you say, hey, the, I only need this text. Somebody once, asked, once was asked, if you were on a desert island, what two books would you have? Think of that, your answer. What would it be? What would your answer be? His was the Bible and a concordance. 
Because all you need is God's word. Think about it. Somebody always wants, what commentaries are the best? What's this is the best? How about just reading God's word for a while and believing it's God's word? All of it. I know that's preachy. I'm sorry. But, but when we look at the craftiness of Satan, and I think we've got to understand this, when we talk about Satan and his fall, he didn't lose his hakma. He didn't lose his wisdom, but he took that wisdom and became very crafty because he knows it all. And if you tweak it, really good at tweaking things, and when you think you're the end-all, be-all, and you, your goal is to be the mighty God, you can make this book say anything you want it to say. And I think that's why we uh, wholeheartedly support a good hermeneutic, a good way to look at Scripture, a good way to understand it and grasp it, because Satan has his hermeneutic. Secondly, he's perfect in beauty. Match this skillful living with perfect in beauty. And I think one of the things we look at today, we want to go in a mirror and say, man, am I something to look at? You know, um, I have a mirror at home. Hopefully one day it'll work better than it is right now, but it makes me look like Brad Pitt. I look and I go, whoa, like, uh, what is Fonzie? Remember Fonzie from years ago? Yo, <laughs> we're good. Because uh, we have a thought in our mind what appearance should look at, what it should be like. But it's talking about his total appearance, his total being. So when we have something evil looking, that's not Satan. That's not Satan. Satan's focused on that outer beauty because he doesn't have any inner beauty to deal with. And to focus on. So when we talk about the summary statement of Lucifer, is that he had the seal of perfection. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Nothing was missing. He had the skillfulness of life, and he was well ornate. He was stunning. Uh, so when you think of Satan, uh, don't think of the beast. Think of brains and beauty. Just think about that for a minute. That kind of changes our whole way of looking at him, right? Or thinking about Satan. We're looking for something that's demonic, that we can nail down and say, that's got to be evil. So we look at things in third world countries or wherever we might look at and say, that's got to be demonic because that's evil. Well, I don't think Satan is the, would be the poster child for evil. He is evil. But he's not the poster child for it. Uh, I want us to understand this. God created him. Uh, look at his attire in verse 13. So we can get a picture of what he's like. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. He's like the high priest in Israel. Because it says you were in the garden... You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the lapaz luzi. Did anybody ever seen that stuff? It is the neatest looking. It's a big old rock and it's got a purplish white ingrained. It's a beautiful stone. Uh, everybody's kind of saying, well, diamond's it. Now I'm thinking that, that lapis uh, luzi is great. Turquoise, the emerald, the, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you on the day you were created. What day was that? I have no idea. But, but again, we know that from the moment Satan was created, he was astonishing and outstanding, uh, which is fascinating because this is a picture of the priest here. When, when the priest was ornate with the 12 gemstones, uh, the priest was going before God as a representative of the people before God. And think of that, uh, or link, I'll, let's say that. Satan was kind of a link between God and the people. Uh, God is sovereign, and he used the anointed cherub as his intermediator between man and God. Uh, so Satan is that link. God allowed Satan that position. 
And again, when we look at Genesis 3, we got to have Job 1 in our mind that God has initiated that. God didn't say, be evil, but he says, I want man to respond to me. I gave him two rules. How's he doing? You know, you ever put down rules? You ever see rules in a business or whatever? And they give. You? Listen, we had a manual at the post office. It wasn't very thick. It was called the M41. I don't even know if they even use it anymore. And the manual was, how do we do our job? And it, it's fascinating because it had this litany of different things you had to do, but there's one thing that was very important in there, and I used it and abused it when I was a supervisor. It said in there, above all, listen to your supervisor. So if you just said, hey, I memorized one thing out of the M41, above all, listen to your supervisor, we are good, right? But the litany of things that had to be done, like somebody really read it with a fine-tooth comb, said, no, the book says do this. Now, obviously, today the book is, uh, I don't even know if they use it, because most of it's out of play, because uh, technology's entered the picture. But the point is, there was, there was this guidebook that was involved, a rule book. God gives two rules to man. How hard can this be? Hard, what, anybody know the two rules? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. How, how did Adam and Eve do up to an appointment with Satan? We don't know how long it was, but nothing was happening yet, okay? Second one was what? Do not eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat. Don't eat. Not don't touch. Don't make a campfire. Don't make a, uh, what does the kids do? Make a fort up in a tree. You can do anything you want. Don't eat it. You can even touch it and say, hey, it looks really good. Don't start at that because man's got problems with starting that. But he, he just said, don't eat. How did man do? Failed at both of them at the fall. Two rules. So if people, I love when people say, well, I obey ten. No, you don't because man couldn't obey two. So when people say, I obey all ten commandments, no, you don't. And James says real easily, easily if you've disobeyed one, you've disobeyed them all. So uh, Adam and Eve missed on two. <laughs> they were 0 for 2. Horrible batting average. Um, so, uh, which is interesting, because with Satan, though, God allows him to support... I, I believe God's in the government business. God's going to one day set up his government. But God allows all these different governments to rule and reign on his earth, and he allows Satan to uh, prod all these different governments in different ways and allows them to bang against each other. And one day that will be over and the world will be in harmony, but we're not there yet. So look at verse 14. Uh, we're in Je- Ezekiel 28, verse 14. You are the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were the, uh, uh, on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, first of all, I want you to understand, this is singular. This God's speaking to the only one of his kind. He was the one anointed cherub. This, this, this vocabulary is, is similar to the one he uses about his only begotten son when you take it over to Greek. There's, this is his only one of its kind cherub. Nobody's like Satan. Satan could look around heaven and do what he normally does, like some humans do today, and compare himself with other angelic beings and say, man, I'm the end-all, be-all. I'm it. I'm the number one. And God did create him like that. Okay? But he's still supposed to be a responder to God's will. But Satan became self-absorbed, and, and that's, where, that's where he came. So not only is singular, singular, 
But the sovereign choice is there. Listen to this. The sovereign will is involved. He says, I placed, look, I want you to understand this. I placed you there. Who's in charge? God's in charge. I placed you there. And I think it's important for us to know. He had a function that God gave him to function within because God says, this is your purpose in life. And Satan said, well, that's good. I'm glad you have this as my purpose in life, but I don't want that. And he says, here's your abode. Your abode is in the mountain of God. This is the seat of authority. He had a place of authority. So God gave him uh, his ability to do what he is, gave him his beauty, gave him his full wisdom, gave him a place to to rule from his the mountain of God. Uh, the uh, abode was the holy mountain, and the mountain of God represents the seat of God's authority. God says, "You can sit in the place of authority over what the cosmos, this world." Now, I believe this world. When it says Satan is the ruler of the cosmos and the air, I think it's just this realm. He can't take over Jupiter. Mars, because why? Just think about it for a minute. You guys are all smart people. Where is human life on? Earth. I don't care. Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever. That's all fun and fantasy. This is the only place life exists. And God gave Satan the ability to, uh, to rule over this sphere, but he can't rule over anything else. He can't change the course of planets. He can't change the course of stars. He can't shut them off and on. He can only deal with this. And he says, and basically it goes on in verse 14, you walked in the midst of stones of fire. I believe that is uh, God's throne. And I think that he, God allows him ability to come in. Remember, if you were to see God right now, what would happen? It, w- it would be an interesting situation because this is no man has seen God, the fullness of God at any time. People have seen Jesus Christ, the, the exact representation of God, and lived. Because just think what would happen at the cross. That would have been a whole different paradigm. Um, when we look at this, though, he placed his one anointed, his one and only anointed cherub in charge of the seal of his of government to rule over creation that God had made to make sure God's will was carried out. So he was the mediator between God and man, vested like a priest. Okay. To what? To make sure God's will is carried out. So that's where we're going to leave this till next week. And we'll pick up here next week with what I, what I call ultimately Satan's crash and how that affects us. So we can at least say four day, three days before Christmas we, we touched on demonology or Satanology. Uh, I don't know how that makes you all feel, but we tackled it. Father, we thank you for this, evening, uh, this morning. <laughs> Uh, thank you for the day you've provided for us to come together to look into this interesting thing. Uh, I believe, uh, in, in my thinking, that we were upon one of the, the days that Satan is using, that, that Christmas is one of his days to pervert different things within theology, just tweak them just a little bit and take our focus off the, ne- the necessity of Christ becoming a man, going to the cross, and all we focus on is things and giving and, and material ideas and, and, and different religious uh, ideas, but we miss, miss the fullness of who Christ is. But Father, as we c- come together for our second class, help us to focus on your word and make it our priority. In Jesus' name, amen.